Welcome to today's Power Up Your Presence podcast. I'm Diane Craig. And I'm Sandra Corelli. We have designed each and every episode to help you power up, step up, and lead up your presence. A mix of stories, tips, insights, and conversations with trailblazers who speak candidly about their journey to leadership. On today's episode, we are thrilled to welcome Dr. Dave Williams. Welcome, Dave. Good morning. Thanks very much for having me. Oh, we are so excited. Listen, Dave, you have led the sort of life that most people can only dream of. You have set records for spacewalking. You lived under sea for weeks at a time. You saved lives as an emergency doctor. You launched into the stratosphere twice. You performed surgery in zero gravity. Um, I must admit, I feel a little inadequate here. I, 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 don't, I just don't know what to say. And I think when people meet you, they're probably in awe, just as I am. And so it's such an honor to have you with us today. Well, thanks very, very much. And throughout my whole career, I think I've been very lucky to be able to do all the different things that I've done. It hasn't always been easy. There have been ups and downs, twists and turns, but it's always been a lot of fun. Yeah, well, we're going to talk about this today. And, uh, and in the time that we have to together, we want to hear from you uh, as the son, the student, the medical surgeon, the astronaut, the aquanaut, the celebrity the husband, the father, the leader, the follower, the teammate, and the friend. Because in your books, and you, you uh, actually in your recent book, Define Limits, uh, you paint a very good pictures of all of these different roles in your life. Um, this journey you, you've been on gave you the right to write this book. As I read it, I thought, my goodness, you know, it, it is so poignant. And uh, defying limit is really uh, rightfully so in terms of the, the title. And it's an important title. It's a powerful, powerful title written by a powerful man. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm sure our audience has like tons of questions they'd love to ask you, but one of them that I'm sure everybody everybody wants to hear about is the one like, you know, how do you get chosen to become an astronaut? So many people have that dream. You, you've realized that dream. You, you made it. How did that happen? For me, I dreamt of becoming an astronaut when I was very young. In fact, I was seven years old growing up on the West Island of Montreal in Quebec. And in those days, uh, Canada did not have an astronaut program. So my dreams seemed impossible. And in fact, I watched Alan Shepard lift off to go mm. into space in May of 1961. And I was galvanized looking at the television in front of me, this small 12-inch black and white TV. And uh, after he went into space, I said, well, that's what I want to do. And I was told, no, you can't do that. And I said, well, why not? And they said, well, in Canada, we don't have an astronaut program. So I thought, well, if I can't go to space and explore outer space, then maybe I'll be able to pursue a different dream and explore inner space, the undersea world. And uh, that became my passion as well. But the 60s for me was really a decade of exploration. Wow. 
The uh, yes, and and as as you were very young when you started doing scuba diving, I believe, and we'll get back to that in, in a moment. And as I read through your book, it, it was so powerful in the way that it was written. And really, as I read through each chapter, you go on that experience and that journey with you in all the roles that you held and in all the experiences that you had and so many powerful messages that really um, made me pause and reflect on what's important about, about life and some of the lessons that you shared. So what made you decide to write the book? I actually started by writing books for children. And uh, from that journey, I decided, you know, I wanted to get kids excited about science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and things. Because when I was younger, there were some really great books that I was able to read that got me very excited about science. And then um, I was halfway through writing the third children's book, got a call from Simon & Schuster in Canada, and they said, would you come in and chat about the possibility of writing an adult book? Initially, I didn't think that I would write an adult book. Mm. But through the dialogue with the editors at Simon & Schuster, I came to realize that there was maybe a benefit in sharing some of the lessons that I'd learned. It's not so much about me as an astronaut being in space. Broadly speaking, it's about the opportunity that we all have to live life to the fullest. And being able to share that message, I thought it was very important because as an emergency physician, I've seen many people at the end of their lives who want to be able to do things that they weren't able to do during their life. You know, they, I wish I'd spent more time with my family. I wish I'd traveled more. I mm, wish I'd done different right. things. And unfortunately, at that point, it's too late. too late. So I wanted to be able to share the message with people earlier on. And no matter where you are in your life, hopefully if you read the book, you'll have this sense of it's important to get out there and do whatever it is you dream of doing, push the limits and things, and be able to live life to the fullest. Absolutely. And, and instead of saying someday, it's why not now and why not do what I want to pursue or the goals that I have and pursue them today. And one of the many reasons we're so excited to be with you today is that the work we do at Corporate Class is focused on, as you know, leadership presence and how you show up and the importance of being in the moment. And at the beginning of your book, you quote Ted Rosenhall, you can live a lifetime in a moment. And you share, that means an hour a day, a conversation, or an encounter can be as rich and fulfilling as an entire lifetime. But only if you're mindful and self-aware enough to truly embrace the gift of every second we spend on this earth, which is such a powerful, powerful quote from your book. I believe it was during your second spacewalk that this quote by Ted Rosenhall really resounded with you. Can you elaborate? I remember in that spacewalk, I was standing on the end of the Canadarm, <laughs> and I'm roughly uh, 400 kilometers above the planet Earth, this truly remarkable view of four and a half billion year old planet beneath me, the beautiful blue of the oceans, uh, we refer to the Earth as this beautiful blue oasis in space, cast against the infinite black void oh, of space. It was just this incredible moment. And then I started to reflect on the fact that the entire history of the human species has taken place on this planet, that everything we know and love and cherish, all of our friends and family 
are on earth. And there, there's no magic line separating countries and things. And you had this remarkable sense of oneness that we're all in this together. And then I began to reflect on my life in the context of cosmic time. Mm -hmm. You know, let's say we live into our 80s or our 90s if we're lucky. And you think about that in terms of a four and a half billion year old planet, you realize that, you know, maybe my life is like a little speck of sand on this infinite beach. And that seemed a little depressing at that point. So then I realized, you know what, rather than thinking about that, it's important for all of us to think about the importance that we have in living our legacy on a day-to-day -day basis, living in those moments. And it took me back to Ted's story. Ted was a writer who used to write for the New York Times and um, the New York Post back in the early 1970s. And very tragically, he was diagnosed with leukemia when he was in his early 30s. And as a result, he was confronted with his death sentence. And he wrote this book called How Can I Not Be Among You? And in the book, he talks about the fact that when you're confronted with the finite reality of your own life, you have an opportunity to live a lifetime in a moment, that all those moments are really, really important. And, you know, that's a message that I first heard when I was 24 years old. And I said, that's how I want to live my life, getting everything that I possibly can out of all the moments that I have. And it was at that time, uh, riding on the end of the Canada arm, that I truly understood what Ted was talking about, that the epiphany that I had seeing the earth yeah. from such a unique perspective was truly like living a lifetime. What a remarkable gift. You know, you paint it so well. And that sense of adventure and curiosity, I think, was also um, really supported by your parents. You want to tell us a little bit about that childhood that you had? Because, um, you know, everyone, all these you know, children who aspired to become an astronaut someday, um, they focused their their interests in in different things but your parents from what i understand really supported that sense of adventure and curiosity that you had and in everything that you did uh, i'd love to hear about that a little bit so i was very very fortunate to have incredible parents i think the exploration gene I got from my father. He was fundamentally a mountain climber and an explorer. He didn't do that for a living. He was a bank manager. That's how I knew him. But in his past, he had uh, summited many peaks in British Columbia, was a member of the Alpine Club of Canada and things. So that ex exploration gene I got from him. The science gene I got from my mother, who was an operating room nurse. And she, I think, had, had she been around these days and trained, she probably would have become a surgeon, but she was training back in the 1930s and in that era it was very very difficult for a uh, female to be able to become a surgeon and things so she ended up as an operating room nurse and it was the balance of the two that I think led to me desiring to become an astronaut and giving me the skills that I have today you know it's that unique combination of scientific uh, curiosity with uh, the desire to go out and explore these extreme harsh environments that uh, I learned when I was a kid. So it was the perfect setting for, for the launch <laughs> of you as an astronaut. Now, you know, early on in your book, you bring your attention to problem solving. Problem solving is something that we, we all struggle with. Um, what we see in boardrooms today is people rehashing the problem and blaming others on the situation. In your book, you write, Astronauts tend to focus more on providing a solution to the problem 
Then the possibility of death looming right around the corner with your team. What is your approach to problem solving when you were with your team day in, day out? And I know reading uh, your book that the, you know, there were a number of problems that would occur and then you had to solve this very quickly and I'd love to hear about that, your, your approach to problem solving. So my approach really came from my background as an emergency physician and trauma team leader working at Sunnybrook uh, Health Sciences Center in Toronto. And you know, in that environment, you have to focus on solving the immediate problem. That's the most important element of it. It doesn't really matter how you got to the point that you're at. What you're trying to do is solve the problem, mm -hmm. move forward, and making sure that you're going to have a positive outcome at the end of all this. As a hospital CEO, one of my favorite expressions with my team was, it is what it is. The situation that we're facing this is what we have to manage. And it doesn't really matter how we got there. We'll figure that out after the case and we'll learn from this. But blaming people does not help in terms of finding a solution. In the emergency room, in the trauma room, if somebody on the team makes a mistake, blaming them in the moment doesn't improve the quality of the outcome. Really what we need to do is focus on where are we at right now? Where do we want to go? How are we going to get from point A to point B? And the same type of problem solving that we would use in the trauma room, we use in space particularly when you're outside doing a spacewalk. And we spend literally hundreds of hours, if not thousands of hours, training and preparing to do these spacewalks. It may last seven hours, six and a half, seven hours or wow. so. And despite that preparation, as soon as we go out the hatch, you don't really know what's going to happen out there because unforeseen things do occur. And if you have a problem like that, you have to solve the problem. So whether you're in the trauma room or whether you're doing a spacewalk on the International Space Station or whether you're working in the boardroom, the approach is fundamentally the same. We are where we are. It is what it is. Let's find a solution. Let's work together collaboratively, avoiding blame, and let's figure out how we can learn from the experience to make sure that we do uh, something better in the future. Mm -hmm. So get to the problem at hand and then if you need to, to rehash, reflect and look into what happened, that's not the time. It's not the time in the moment, you know, and often in the space program, we coin the phrase opportunities for personal growth and development. Yes. When you, <laughs> I think we've all experienced those. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, in the moment, that's not the time to be <clears throat> reflecting on the opportunity for growth and development. It's really, let's work through the problem, let's find a solution, and then let's learn from this so that in the future we can benefit from that knowledge. And I think that's why uh, my two favorite expressions, it's a journey, and we're always on the journey and there's twists and turns and ups and downs, and it is what it is, you know, where, wherever we might be in that journey, we are where we are. And learning how to work through adversity is as important in, lear in learning about embracing success. All right, I won't forget it. Yeah, and it, really, it is what it is. Yes, it really <laughs> speaks to the, the importance of leading with accountability and your ability to remain so calm and collected regardless of the problem at hand or situation at hand helps to keep that focus and, and inspire that followership as well from the team, which is which is so important. You know, I, I think it really is important not to uh, overreact to these situations. It's one of the biggest challenges that we all face. On my third spacewalk, I was outside with Clay Anderson. We're working away on a very aggressive timeline. We want to stay on the timeline and make sure we don't make any mistakes. 30 minutes or so into the spacewalk, the fire alarm for the space station goes off. 
So we pause and we're looking at each other going, that's the fire alarm Does for the space good? station. That's really not a good thing, you know, especially if you're in space and the space <laughs> station is the only place that you can go. So anyway, it turns out that it was a false alarm and we realized that number one, there's nothing we could do about it anyway. So we just went back to work. We know we knew that mission control and the team inside the space station, our crew and colleagues would solve the problem, whatever the problem was. So we just focused on going back to what we were supposed to do. And as a result, we weren't delayed in the timeline at all. Wow. And it's not surprising, uh, as I read through the book, how intensive and grueling the training is to become an astronaut. And you share this great story in the book about one of your colleagues on a survival raft. And he was floating in the open waters for hours when he was spotted by people on a sailboat. Can you tell us a little bit about the lessons learned from that story and knowing the importance of accepting help? You know, it was a very <laughs> humorous story, which yeah. is why I had to include it yeah, I loved in the it. book. Yeah. But uh, imagine this scenario. So we are sent all over the United States to train in a wide range of environments. And at this point, we're training in Pensacola, Florida with the U.S. Navy, and uh, we're learning water survival. So, of course, what they do is they put you in a water survival situation where you have to inflate your life raft and climb on your life raft. And they're monitoring you from a distance to make sure that nothing bad happens to you and that you're actually actually accomplishing all the tasks. So we're basically thrown into the ocean on these life rafts and we're all floating around. We can't see each other and things. Well, anyway, one of my colleagues, his sailboat sails up and he knows that this is training and that, you know, he's supposed to learn how to survive on his own. Sailboat sails up to him and says, hi, you know, you're in this survival raft. We're here to help. Would you like to come aboard? You know, can we do anything for you? And he says, well, I don't think I'm really supposed to do that. So then they said, well, would you, do you want a sandwich? Would you like a beer or anything? You know, here, we'll, we'll give you some stuff. He says, no, I don't think I'm supposed to take that either. This is survival training. And, you know, they only gave me this stuff. So I'm supposed to use only the stuff that I have. So anyway, the sailboat finally sails off. You know, they gave up on this guy. Said, oh, my goodness. <laughs> and uh, at the end of the day, the, the team comes out. They collect us all and they bring us back in. We're in the debrief room. So the instructor said, so, you know, let's hear about some of the stories. So my friend mentions this story about the sailboat thinking that, you know, he would get extra points for uh, not taking help when help right. was provided. The real hero. Yeah, the real hero. <laughs> you know, I survived with my little fish hook dangling it over the side of the boat. And the instructor said, you did what? And he said, well, yeah, you know, the sailboat came up and offered help and said, here, let me reemphasize this. This is a survival situation. So if somebody comes and offers you help, you take the help, you know, <laughs> and we all got a good laugh about it. But I can certainly understand his dilemma because you don't of really course. know this is a yeah. training situation. I don't want to be perceived as cheating in a situation right. like this. Right. But really, in a survival situation, you take whatever help you can get. Yeah, it's such yeah. an important lesson to know when to ask for help and also know when to accept help. In your book, you also talk about failure being the best teacher. Can you share a little bit about what failure has taught you? You know, I've learned a lot more from failure than I have from success. And uh, certainly failure is very, very instructive with the caveat that failure is an opportunity to learn. And if we don't learn as a result of failure, then we've really missed the huge, huge opportunity. I think sometimes especially these days, people think that the most important thing is li in life is the pursuit of happiness. And I would maybe push back on that a little bit because if I reflect on my life, um, I've had happy times, I've had some really sad times and things, 
But the one common theme throughout my whole life is that my life has been meaningful to me. Mm. And we all, each of us defines meaning in our own way. And when I was much younger, I said, you know what, I don't really know how my life is gonna work out, but I just wanna be able to do something meaningful uh, throughout my life. And I think if you think about life in the context of the pursuit of meaning, then you realize that adversity is an opportunity to truly learn a lot more about how we cope as individuals and how we can succeed through very difficult situations at times. And from that learning, I think we become stronger and our lives achieve much greater meaning. So for me, my life has really been all about the pursuit of meaning and recognizing that when I fail, Failure is not intrinsically a bad thing. We think about it as a bad thing because we're conditioned that way. But if you're an entrepreneurial startup, you're gonna be going through a whole lot of failures. So you need to have to learn how to embrace failure, how to learn from failure, how to regroup, go on and try doing something differently. And I didn't start out that way. I actually created my own challenges for myself. And <laughs> right. uh, then I, I learned from those situations that, you know, life can be easier, but uh, failure can be very, very instructive if you're willing to let it be. So, you know, having said that, what would you say was the most difficult thing that you had to overcome either uh, in your personal or professional life? It's hard to say the most difficult because I've had a number of different challenges. When I was in university, I didn't have any money to be able to go to university. And so I had to pay for everything myself. And the natural approach to this would be go out and get a couple of jobs so that you're making money. And then the money that you make goes to pay your tuition, your living expenses and things like that. So I, I started off with this very traditional approach and then found out that it just was not working because I, I was working on Tuesday evenings. I was working pretty well all day Saturdays and sometimes on Sundays as well. And because of that, I didn't have a lot of time to study. So my marks weren't really good and it just things weren't working out. I, I knew when I was living in an apartment that um, I had to go into one alley to get to and then turn left into another alley and left into a third alley. That's how you got to the front door of my apartment and I was paying $60 a month for this. <laughs> and I realized that if I didn't get my act together, this may be my future forever. And uh, that's when I concluded that if I spent more time studying and got better marks, I might be able to get scholarships, which would then pay my tuition. It took me about three years to figure this out. And uh, once I started to do that, my marks were actually at the point where I could get into graduate school and get into medical school. But learning from that, not yeah. having anybody stepping in and solving the problem for me, having to struggle through and figure out a solution on my own, that really gave me a lot of skills and I think a lot of resilience that helped me later in life when I was 50 years old and I was diagnosed with cancer. And as a doctor, you know, I, yeah. I should have been smarter, but as soon as you hear the words, you have cancer, you become a member of a club that nobody wants to be in, the cancer club. Nice. And I tell you, once you're in the club, it's totally different. And you know, the rest of your life will be different. And I thought, you know, when I heard those words, this is it, I'm gonna die. And I was 50 years old and mm -hmm. again, I should have known better. And fortunately within 24 hours or so, I kind of regrouped and said, okay, it's time to take the same approach to problems that you've used throughout your whole career. Let's figure it out. Let's read about it. Let's try and understand the problem and start to find solutions. So I got myself a fantastic uh, physician who was able to manage my, my cancer. And uh, I um, lost all my medical certifications as an astronaut, had to get them back, but flew in space on my second space flight as a cancer survivor. And today now, 50 
15 years later, wow. I'm still a cancer survivor. Wow, this is so inspiring, you know, and uh, and I know that uh, throughout your career, you know, like when this happened, uh, that definitely put a hold on your career as an astronaut. And um, also, uh, often when we accept a new role, because you have to come back and into a new role, um, we know it stretches us, right? And you talk about commitment demanding two things, patience and sacrifice. I would love to hear more about that. I learned that probably the first time as a medical student and uh, going on to be a resident a medical trainee when I was studying emergency medicine. When you're in medical school, particularly when you're doing clinical rotations, you're rotating every month, every two months and you're rotating to learn new information. Mm -hmm. So after a period of two months, you've learned all this, you got to the top of the ladder, you've achieved the goals that you had. And then on Monday morning, you're back at the bottom of the ladder again, and you're learning again. Mm. So that's where I think the patience comes from. It's the fact that you realize that life can be like that. Life can be like you climb the ladder, you get to the top, something happens, and then boom, you're back down again. That's how I felt when I was 50 and I was diagnosed with cancer. I thought I was on top of the world. I'm an astronaut, I've flown in space, I was the director of life sciences right. at Johnson Space Center, and then literally in a nanosecond, I lose it all, and I'm diagnosed with cancer. So it's time to regroup and start over again. So that's that patience and the resilience piece that it's really important to recognize. Life is a journey. Sometimes there are missteps, sometimes things happen to us on the journey that are setbacks, but we've got to work through those to continue on the journey. Yeah, and the sacrifice that it takes. Right? So the sacrifice is an interesting challenge because for me to get into medical school was really, really hard. And I remember, you know, going to the <laughs> library, I'd be in the library Saturday night at 11 o'clock at night. And mm. there's not a lot of people in the library at Saturday night at 11 o'clock at night. But those are the things that you have to do. And um, many people would say to me, Dave, you know, it's Saturday night, we're going out. Do you want to come out with us? There's this mm. amazing band that's playing, you know, and I'd say, no. I, Sounds I, a lot more yeah. enticing than the library. It, right? <laughs> it really was a little bit more enticing than the library. But you know, I was reading this book uh, called How to Play the Rock Guitar. And I know you're all thinking, oh, midlife crisis. <laughs> and but anyway, on the back of the book, there was this really interesting quote, successful people are willing to do things that other people won't. In other words, they're willing to sacrifice. And you know, there's many stories. I think there's famous stories of Eric Clapton who spent literally 10, 12, 14 hours a day practicing guitar for months on end to be able to build a skill. And I would say that that was as much a sacrifice mm. for him, but he was doing that to focus on his ability to play. And for me, when I was in university, you know, spending all that time in the library was to get the marks and I needed to have to be able to get into medical school. And then when I was in medical school, I worked even harder because um, many people sort of were surprised that I got into medical school because initially in my undergraduate career, my marks weren't all that great, but I graduated with the Wood Gold Medal at the top of my class. So I think, you know, the sacrifice is worthwhile. We, it's not a lifetime of sacrifice, but we go through those phases where we're very focused on doing what we need to do to be able to succeed, to go forward and uh, achieve the broader goals that we're looking for. Yeah, so I guess the sacrifices don't compare to the rewards that you get for having gone through 
those sacrifices, right? You know, it's, uh, I guess in the, our era, we used to talk about delayed gratification, mm -hmm. you know, the fact yes. that the reward comes right. downstream. But then I realized that the journey itself is the reward. You know, mm. most people, they say hard work, hey, you know, I'm not sure I really want to work hard. But you know what, if you really do work hard, you feel proud about the achievements that you have and the accomplishments that you make. When you get a team of people together, and that's one of the most amazing things about flying in space, you have a team of astronauts, all of whom are committed to doing whatever it takes to achieve mission success. And you work with them for a period of five or six years together as this mm. group, and then you're able to achieve these incredible things in space, that's actually a really positive thing. And I miss being in space, but I also miss training with a group of people right. that think that way because it's an incredible opportunity. Yeah, so the journey uh, makes the reward um, that much sweeter. Right. It, it does. Yeah. And like many journeys, you know, if you're hiking on a trail and you have blisters in your boots, <laughs> it's not that fun at that <laughs> point in time, but you got to figure out a solution, keep moving forward, and then you'll look back on it perhaps with fonder memories. Yeah. And there were times throughout the journey and through the sacrifices that you made that you experienced fear or uncertainty. Can you share with us your advice on how to really work through those emotions and overcome those emotions? You know, it can be really tough. I think a lot of times these days we talk about resilience. You mm -hmm. can't learn resilience in 24 hours or in six months. You can't go take a course or read a book about resilience. I mean, this is all helpful in learning more about it. To me, learning about resilience is a lifetime skill. It's something that when I was a kid, we learned about it when we were out in the woods and we'd make a mistake, we'd fall off our bikes, we'd dust ourselves up, we'd get back on the bike and things. Uh, it's learning how to work through adversity. And you know, when you start off as a kid, the adversity you face hopefully is a little bit less than the adversity you may face later on in life. But you build your repertoire of skills and your knowledge to understand that, yeah, I can work through this, I can mm -hmm. figure out a solution. and you know what, no matter how bad things seem today, um, things will improve as we go forward. Right, and it requires self-compassion. Often we're harder on ourselves than we are, or say things to ourselves we would never say to other people. So having self-compassion along the way really helps also. That's really critical. There's nothing to be gained by beating yourself yes. up about yeah. all this. And you know, I, I learned a lot in medical school. We had Viktor Frankl, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning, um, come and speak to us in first year medical school. And uh, he was a Jewish psychiatrist prior to World War II, thrown into a concentration camp. And you know he learned a lot of things from that experience, but what he did learn is that no matter what other people do to you, they cannot take away how you choose to react to the circumstances that you're in. And that also was very formative for me because throughout life, when you're in these situations that are really tough, really demanding, very stressful, how you choose to respond, you fundamentally have the ability to choose. And I know it's so, so hard when you're in the moment and it's really stressful and you're thinking something catastrophic is gonna happen, mm -hmm. but you have the ability to choose how you respond to that. And how you respond to it makes it a little bit easier to work through and find a solution to the problem. Absolutely, and in that ability to respond, in the book you talk about as a spacewalker, you walked the fine line between overconfidence and hesitation. And if you get too confident, you can become arrogant and potentially make rash decisions. Whereas if you're too cautious, the indecision can be costly. 
So this is true even in the business environment, as we know. So how do you find the right balance? You know, I think there's two skills that are really important that we tend not to talk about uh, very much. First one's self-awareness, and then the other one is situational awareness. Mm-hmm. So self-awareness helps mitigate the swings. You know, it, it helps you if you feel that you're underconfident, hopefully you're going to be doing something to build your confidence to get you back to the appropriate level of confidence. And usually that's training. You know, if you feel like you weren't ready to do something, then you might go practice it a little bit more. You might read more. You might do whatever is required to be able to get you back to the point where you feel confident doing what you're doing. If you get to the point where you're overconfident or arrogant, again, it's important to have that self-awareness to think, yeah, maybe I'm getting a little too cocky here. And if you have that high level of self-awareness, you can regulate yourself to a fairly reasonable band without having external feedback. But the external feedback is where the situational awareness comes in. You know, if you're getting perhaps a little bit too Mm. arrogant, but you're good at reading the room, you'll realize that other people, based on their body language, their eye contact, and their, their positioning and things, they're not necessarily resonating with your degree of arrogance Mm -hmm. and that you need to throttle it back a little bit. So it's really interesting, this phrase situational awareness, which originally comes from military aviation and being able to use that in the boardroom because I think that in the boardroom is a critical skill to be able to have. Right, and it really comes back to the main message of your book on the importance of being in the moment. In order to have that self-awareness, in order to have the situational awareness, you need to be present and in the moment to really be able to to observe and be aware of how people are responding to you and your impact on others. And today we call this mindfulness. Yeah, you know, there's it is. A whole that's right. Yeah, I right know. Yeah. And you know, interestingly, I mean, we, I'm writing about this in the book. I just don't use the word mindfulness, but essentially living in the moment is living mindfully. It's being self-aware. It's being situationally aware. It's working together collaboratively with others to optimize whatever outcome it is we strive for. Our conversation with Dr. Dave Williams will continue on the next episode of Power Up Your Presence. Download it now to listen and find out how you can win a copy of Dr. Williams' book, an absolute page turner you will not want to put it down. All of the details can be found in the show notes for today's episode. Every morning, set your intentions toward your dreams. Some may refer to goals. We like the word dreams. It sounds more exciting and not so hard to think about. We hope to meet you in person one day at one of our workshops, or you may even decide that private coaching is more for you. We encourage you to go to our website at corporateclassinc.com for additional resources, blogs, and videos that you may find to help enhance your confidence and your presence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to our podcast. It's complimentary. And write a review. Thank you for listening to Power Up Your Presence podcast. The passion, the presence, the power. Until next time, power up, step up, lead up.